0: Hey, I want to welcome you to the Engineer Your Success Podcast. My name is Dr. James Bryant, your host for today's show. And today we have an absolutely special guest. I mean, Don is like the leader's leader. He's the guy that is giving you know coach, coaching, coaching, and talks to all of these great people. So, Don, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Hi, well, I'm Don Schmeker, and uh, I've been a researcher author. I do a lot of, uh, speaking and writing around, um, leadership and development, well, my background's in engineering. So, uh, we can get into more of that later. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, actually tell us a little bit more about your engineering background.
1: Uh, sure. I, I ended up, I must dropped out of high school. They, uh, until the police told me I had to repeat the senior level, uh, high school. And I was like, "There's no way I'm going to repeat. So, uh, I said, well what do I gotta do? They said, Well you got like ninety days to complete the entire year. So I'm like, Okay, came on. And so um the teachers are really helpful and uh I completed the whole year in ninety days. I got out. And um so I but I didn't know anything about engineering because I uh I was uh working at my uncle's gas station and I uh you know I was in rock bands and doing stuff like that. And I noticed all the guys the fancy cars had uh education, so, so I Started at a community college up the street. And then, as, and that was when I discovered computers. And I thought, well, this is neat. This is back when you had to plug the lights in, you had to punch the lights on the panel. Yeah. Well, we weren't born yet, probably that our- so, are So
0: you went, this is past the punch cards. So now we've yeah. moved past the punch cards that you put in to the lights on the panel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember an old, old HP computer, and um, that's how we did it, assembly language programming. And, uh, so I uh I ended up uh somehow I I got into MIT and of course when I got into MIT then I I just went in a whole different directions I I, I spent time with AI in the early development uh, I got it like a double E degree but I combined it with um planetary physics degree oh, wow. I kind of got kind of got bored with just machines and I wanted to get more into nature and then I uh, ended up Automating the, I had to need to make some money. So I uh, did some interesting jobs because we, um, I worked at Draper Lab. So we helped um, the uh, inertial guidance system development for the Trident missile program. And I automated the uh, Harvard MIT biomedical lab. And so that was neat. And that's when I first got published in the journal Medical Instrumentation. And uh, that led me to study humans, which took me to Johns Hopkins and did my graduate work and started teaching there. And And then I got pulled in by some executive MBA people to look at management theory failure. And so, I know this is like our circuitous path, but it ends up where we are now.
0: Oh, you're good, man. Um,
1: (laughs) So, we um, started using anthropology and archaeology and evolutionary genetics uh, to look at why management and leadership theory fails, uh, fail at such high high rates. And um, yeah, and we started um, discovering some things. And now I train... 700 CEOs a year in uh, these methods, uh, and that's what I do. I write books and, and teach that well, way.
0: Tell, tell us a little bit more about these methods. I mean, this really sounds very interesting.
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was a shift from me coming out of engineering where everything was really, uh, there, there were certain levels of disciplines and, you know, a circuit either either works or doesn't, or, and now I'm working with humans, which is totally uh, just the opposite direction and. Yeah. And I found out that a lot of times when you go from being an engineer and trying to, to being a manager of engineers, it's like a whole nother planet. Yep. And so when we, uh, when we train, you know, the people in these transitions, it's like, we have to unlearn everything that we thought (laughs) and, uh, and introduce them to art because it really is an art crafting. And so the, um. What we found out was interesting. We we found out that the number of business books published every year were 35,000. Wow. We, we published more management books than we publish engineering books, than we published science. I mean, we published more than cancer research, but wow. at least from and cancer yeah. research. Yeah.
0: So in terms of people making that shift, right? Because so there, there are a lot of people that are listening to the podcast that may be in that position. They've been an individual contributor. Now they're moving up and they have to manage engineers. What are some of the biggest hurdles or roadblocks that that individual may be facing when they make that shift?
1: Well, I think the first thing is, do you really want to manage humans? (laughs) That's been the first question, because um, when you see what has to go into it, a lot of times it's um, it may not be as satisfying. If, however, you you do enjoy that and um, you find it more exciting than uh, than doing engineering, then by all means, by all means, do that.
0: Yeah, but what I would say, Don, is that not not everyone knows what it means to manage people, right? Right, So they're on the they're on the outside looking in. Um, They've been doing their work. They see that the next level up is a regional manager or some kind of a leader. You know, you lead a design team. You're like, okay, this is that next step. And I don't know. If people are looking at it in terms of, do I really want to manage people? They're just looking at it as I want to take this next step in my career.
1: Right. Right. And I would say, what, what do next steps look like? For instance, there is a next step that may mean you can achieve like a, a fellow status, you know, like a senior, you know, when I was granted senior membership at the IEEE, I thought that was like such a cool achievement, right? For so many years. And yeah. So there is that level of next step, but if your next step is "why we want to manage humans," that's a whole different set of questions coming up. Like, do you like doing that? Because if you don't, you're gonna be freaking miserable.
0: (laughs) But how would how would I know if I've never done it before?
1: Try it, try it. Say, hey, look, uh, uh, maybe, maybe there's like a three month or a six month project. You can put a team together. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a defined result that you're trying to produce with a group of people and, and see what happened, you know, uh, was it fun? Were you able to adapt? Were you able to uh, adjust your expectations or were you able to inspire? you You know, all these things, uh, come out of that. And if, if it worked then Hey, cool, then maybe that's something you want to do more of, but if you found it frustrating and, um, maybe, Maybe sort of anxiety producing because it can be because you're not in control. See, when you're an engineer, you like to control stuff, right? It's like, yes. you know, I mean, when I want to do this thing and it's going to work, and I've and if I can't control it, I'll figure out how to control it. I'll change the technology or whatever. But when you're with humans, I mean, you have no freaking control.
0: Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think things are. Everything is changing. Uh, rapidly and very dynamic when you put the people element in there. When you're doing a design, you can have certain variables, but we've worked through ways to, you know, have to, to, to address those variables in the design. And we're figuring that out when you're dealing with people, that's kind of like the unknown variable or variables, because on any given day, depending on what has been going on in that individual's life and in your life, that's going to determine the dynamics of that particular situation that you may be faced with.
1: Yeah. It's like you spent all week designing the circuits, working brilliantly. You go home the next morning. It's like, well, let's turn it on and see what happens. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it was working. It's like,
0: well, we're not sure. No, we are not sure. And, and so you've, work through this process. We've been doing tons of research and training CEOs. You know, we've talked about this general transition. So success principle number one, when you're making that transition, answer the question, do you want to manage people? If you do not, then you may need to do something else, maybe do a deeper dive into your technical skill, or you can go get trained how to be a better manager of
1: people. Yeah. And the training is exciting for those that, that want to do that. It was interesting. I remember when I first started this research, probably back in the 90s now, let's see, it might have been the late 80s, but um, this best-selling management book came out called "Reengineering the Corporation. I mm-hmm. championed Mike Hammer, and I knew Mike Hammer because we had brushed elbows a few times um, in the circuit, and um, it was an interesting book, but... It was a total fail and Mike, I, I just appreciate his honesty. He was in an interview once and he was like, you know, it, it, all, it all works in concept. He said, but, but we forgot about people. Mm. And that was probably a key insight because you can engineer a corporation, you know? Yeah. It could be dealing with people. So when I, when I train CEOs, what we do is we go through like the high failure rate of management theory. And there's a lot of great data out there. So it's not like you had to look very far and some really good books that have come out on the topic. And and since Mike Beer wrote why change programs don't produce change, it started me on a whole study of this. And and in fact, if you just go to Google Scholar and type in management theory failure, you get over like 4 million hits. Oh, wow. That's 4 million scholarly papers published. But no one's talking about it. So what we did is we thought, well, let's talk about it, but look look at it like we just discovered this new planet, and let's analyze it as if it's fresh and everything we knew was wrong. And so let's start over. And that's when I started hanging out with anthropologists and and sociologists and uh, you know evolutionary psychologists. The whole genetics of our species became very exciting. And then we started growing companies faster by applying. These techniques, and that's when things got really, really interesting. You know, when an engineering company or any company were doubling or tripling their sales within a few years, some companies 10 times their sales. We started looking at how to hone that better. And, um, it's been a, it's been great. Every day we're still learning something new. But one of the things to your point is the shift is that, you know, it's great to have tools. Mm-hmm. It's great man and most of our business books are tools, right? What do you got to do to get results? How do you do it to get results? But most of the failures were because human behavior did not change. And in other words, the humans that were being led did not alter their decisions. Mm-hmm. So the same behavior, the same decisions. That means no change. Even yeah. though you threw a bunch of tools at it, you threw a bunch of TEDx talks, a bunch of books, a bunch of coaches, a bunch of training. At the end of the day, If you don't alter human decision, you have just wasted everything. And that's what led us to, well, how do you alter human decision? I mean, what happened with Alexander and Cleopatra and Gandhi and Hannibal and, you know, Genghis Khan and Caesar, right? And it all came down to beliefs. Okay. Have to alter a human's belief. And when you do that, you alter their decisions. And then they can use the tools. And when you look at great engineers that have taken on just sometimes controversial and, and doubtful endeavors, They were people were following them because of what they believed in, not because they were engineering, excellent uh, designers. They, would just, they had a belief in something. And this started off some of the most um, incredible engineering companies around the world. So we kind of go there first, like, okay, the tools are great, but unless you know how to alter the beliefs of humans... Don't try to lead them.
0: At Bannowitz Marketing, we succeed when you succeed. Build a thriving family business with great marketing that actually works. How? Start with comprehensive marketing direction and a clear action plan. Then get attentive expert help and choose whether that help comes as done for you services or as done with you guidance. Visit us at thrivingfamilybusiness.com to get started today. Got it. So there there are two things, that just kind of a common thread that came through there for me. One is you were able to approach the situation from a fresh view by using the power of curiosity. And so you, you were looking at management failure, management theory, what are these, these things that are going on? And you were just curious and open to explore what the possibilities were going to be. So yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of walked away from the well, it's supposed to go like A, B, C to, wait a minute, how is it supposed to go? Let me see, why is it going to go that way? And you mm-hmm. ask different questions and you're open for different answers when you approach things with curiosity. And I would say the other uh, point to hit home is that if you want to change human behavior, you have to change beliefs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, And this was interesting research because like when Apple helped, um, my colleague at the Institute here, um, looked at innovation in the brain because Apple needed to figure that out. And so, but we didn't really have any, uh, good science behind creation and innovation. So, um, it was great watching what Cameron did, uh, with Cupertino out there. Now, a lot of their managers have to go through this and they're actually letting us teach it to you. So I don't know how we're going to do that, but if anybody's interested you reach out to me, well, you know, <laughs> What, what we learned at Apple, but what was the, by the leadership part was when Steve Jobs died, they wrote books about his leadership style. And mm-hmm. what did they say? It did. They did a lot. of It did. It did a lot of the opposite of what we teach in business school, right? I mean, yeah. you know, he was. He, people were saying, "Well, he was reactive. He was this. He was that. And you know, he was an asshole, and he did this and he did. and so um, these books were not very flattering from a management point of view. But I was looking at it like, wait a minute. How does a guy who violates what we teach in leadership school create the most powerful company in the world? That's a question somebody should ask, and no one was asking that. So we decided to ask, and we found out is it came back to the belief insight, and and so we started teaching CEOs differently. People aren't following you; you could be an asshole. (laughs) What they're following is the story you represent what we call the compelling saga we stole from the vikings it's like what's that story that you represent that that has something ahead of your people that generates such passion that they need each other to achieve it and they're willing to suffer and sacrifice with you it's like wow that goes against all the happy employee motivational (laughs) theories that we have but that was the key and that's what they were following they were following steve's story his saga for what was going on next in the future to put a dent in the universe when we find that leaders they get that then and they they really need to ask themselves what story do i represent what's the compelling saga that i represent in life because that's what people will follow and i tell you it's a total uh, 180 degree shift in, in management thinking
0: yeah so i imagine that their through- you know, two similar questions. One, what story do I represent? What saga do I represent? And then what saga do I want to represent? Uh, Mm -hmm. Just in terms of making the transition to lead the company to where you envision it to go. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you get up into executive level leadership, things change because, you know, you're not dealing with uh, short time horizons. You're going out several years and you're looking at, issues, um, which are not just, oh, can I, can I design this, um, structure or this system or this machine or to be, to, to be excellent. It's, it's more of where's my company going to compete and how are we going to win? And, um, and what does winning really mean? So it, it really evolves beyond engineering because you're leading people now with that context. And so you have to shift your brain a bit say hey it's about it's about winning and and how do we do that
0: okay so it, you know what are some of the other innovative things that you all have been able to research and you're, you're training people to bring to bear in the market
1: well i think uh one of the things is we kind of upset strategic planning as we normally teach it because what we're looking at in the we do a lot of autopsy research <laughs> We're looking at a lot of dead companies, um, and, uh, and we look at their strategies and I think one of the things is we, we noticed that most strategic plans are not strategic, they're tactical. And we further did research to find out, well, wait, why why is that the case? And it, and it looked like we were using analysis to create our strategy. Okay. Do a SWOT analysis, a market analysis, and this analysis. And that's all great and fine. And that was part of the problem because when I was teaching in the graduate school at Johns Hopkins University, I was teaching analytical models. But the problem is I couldn't figure out why would a small startup company violate all the analysis, all the top management consultants and industry experts and thought leaders would say they're never going to make it. They're doing everything wrong. And somehow this startup dominates their market. And I was like, how did that happen? did we miss and in each case it turned out that strategy isn't really about analysis and everybody's looking at their analysis so no strategy is about intuition shifting of beliefs and this company had a different belief about the game they were in and that's what made them great of course when they become great then all the thought leaders and industry consultants shut up (laughs) yeah they start running books about how great they are, right? Yeah. But yeah. what part of you when you said they weren't going to last? And so it's it's intuition. It's uh, that's how you outmaneuver and compete in the world. So that's another area where we uh, started teaching things differently once we discovered that.
0: Hi, this is James, and I want to give you a personal invitation to come to the next Success or Ramp. These are small group, complimentary monthly meetings to help you win at work and at home. Are you interested in setting and achieving goals, in building habits that stick, becoming a more powerful communicator? Listen, you do not have to do this alone. Register for the next success on-ramp today and join other like-minded people who are on the road to achieve success both in business and in life. Use the link in the show notes to grab your spot today. So how do you teach intuition?
1: Interesting. Um, we have to go back to the Greeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, it it's it's been an ancient phenomenon so it's nothing it's not really new. None of, none of the things that I teach are new. They were really just validated by modern medical science, but they started with humans as far as we can document. And intuition is really our the key model that we use around this belief stuff is that Below the line, we have all the tools and that's great. And they're very analytically focused, but companies die clutching onto their tools. When I was working with Chris Warner on the NBC project for his K2 expedition, I met him on an expedition in the Andes Mm -hmm. and uh, we wrote this book, High Altitude Leadership. And what's interesting is dead climbers when when he was pulling them off of mountains were clutching tools. And I find dead companies were clutching their tools as well. And so we decided to look at what is it about tool seduction that causes a company to die? And I think we get so seduced by our tools that we forget to ask, are we using our tools or or are our tools using us?
0: Yeah, well, you know what? And I think what I would say is that we're using our tools as kind of a comfort blanket right? It's a security blanket, but those tools were not using those tools or those companies were not using those tools to help them move forward to where they needed to be. They were using the tools to keep them where they were.
1: Right. Right. And we get so seduced because you're right on. It's comfort and safety. We seek safety. And the best way to do that is get control. How do you get control? Analyze the world and control it. But leadership is above the line in the beliefs domain. And that's art. And you know, in art, there is no structure, there is no control, there is no safety, there's no analysis, there's no checklist or formulas or equations, and that's scary stuff.
0: But I'm a leader, so if there's no control and there's no any of that, what am I supposed to do? Don, what am I supposed to do?
1: That's why we, that's why I, I, uh, I, when I'm in an audience, I, I say, okay, how many of you know an artist? And like, maybe half the room raises their hand, and I say, okay, let me, Let me ask you, have you noticed these are miserable people? (laughs) They just start laughing like, yeah, yeah. Artists are never satisfied. They're always trying to craft and reach for mastery and they never achieve it. And they go through their life never feeling like they've achieved mastery. I said, that's what you're up to as a leader, because there is no answer. You're going to craft. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. And so that's where we started coming up with a whole different leadership, um, education design mm-hmm. that we, which is like, you know, strategies about intuition. Here's how you do it. Now you got to make winning a story, a compelling saga. So people follow
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you say, well, what about culture? And then we started doing a lot of expeditions to look at different cultural environments. And it's like, wow, you know, we are a grouping species, yeah. you know, we, we, if, if we're ostracized from a human group we die so how do we trigger tribal grouping instincts this is really fascinating and we saw it in the greatest companies they all had symbols and rituals and, and we call magic magic moments in their and their uh, mythological sharing of stories and when we started putting that in place in a company oh wow things really took off then people started aligning their beliefs around the saga and winning and uh, And this is what I think we should be teaching. How do you craft the art of doing all this?
0: How do you craft the art of doing? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a great name of of a book there, Crafting the Art of Doing.
1: Uh, Yes. Yeah, that would make a good time.
0: (laughs) So, Don, listen, I I really appreciate you joining uh, the Engineer Your Success podcast. Are there any other success principles or parting words or comments that you would have for uh, the podcast listening
1: audience? You know, I think, um, whether you're a, a young engineer starting out or whether you're, you're growing in your career, I, I find that the greatest entrepreneurs and the greatest innovators were the ones that were willing to, and very comfortable with failing. Yes. You know, it's like fail frequently and often and learn from and that's the difference the ones that the winners are the ones that in fact i have a new book coming out hopefully in the next few months for working with the final manuscript on winning and losing and it's like we teach everybody about winning we don't teach them about losing but when you look at these great entrepreneurs and look at their history it was a series of total loss i mean they just went through loss to loss to loss but they kept uh, they kept picking themselves back up and there was yeah. a great samurai right um Cause my first book was on the samurai leadership is, you know, seven times down, eight times up, keep yeah. getting up. And that's where the learning is. So I would say as an engineer, Hey, fail, grow, learn, fail again, grow, learn.
0: Fail again, grow, learn, fail again, grow, learn. So doc, do you have any questions for me? I've never done this on a, on a podcast episode. We'll flip the script. Do you have any questions for me?
1: That's great. Well, I love I love what you're doing and and the and the market that you're trying to serve here. I guess the question for you is as you as you do this work and, and and trying to inspire and educate engineers, what do you see their coming challenges being, or or even the current challenges? What do you hear?
0: Wow, you know there are there are interesting challenges that I hear. One would be even engineers have suffered from imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are really good engineers. They're really good technically. But when it comes to communicating beyond the technical level, they mm-hmm. suffer from imposter syndrome and they typically will go back to the technical details that's, that, you, you know, you talked about holding on to the tools yeah. earlier as a place of comfort. There are a lot of engineers where the technical details, that's their place of comfort.
1: Uh, and so- yeah.
0: They stay there in their communication and they're not able to really communicate the value of what they're bringing, the transformation of what their products are going to be because they're holding on to that technical detail.
1: I get that. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Well, we should do another podcast on overcoming the imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah. We can absolutely do that. So that's one. And I would say the other thing, you know, that I'm seeing just really is that the market, engineers are really, I would say happy in a sense of having someone in the market address them where they are. And I think I mentioned this before we started, you know, I tell everybody this little secret and you may not believe it, but engineers are people too. Mm -hmm. And so the same issues that everyone else faces, engineers Mm -hmm. face just because they're analytical, just because they're an engineer, just because they went to school and they passed their PE, they face the same general issues that everybody yeah. faces. Yeah. And when I first started out, I started out with the focus on work-life balance. But what I find, Don, when you're talking about this, nobody ever <laughs> thinks they ad- they need any help with work-life balance. I mean, the market spoke to me as like, no, we don't need work-life balance, not at all. So the way I approach the issues now, I'm going to ask you just a series of simple questions. And that would be this, Don, do you want to win in your career or your
1: business? Do you? For me? Yeah. I don't know what my career is anymore. I'm just, uh,
0: Your career or business. Do you want to, do you want to win in your professional endeavors? How about that?
1: Well, that is, yes. Winning is, that's why this next book is, I think, so exciting. So here, yeah.
0: here's the next question. Do you want to win in your personal endeavors at home?
1: You know, that's, that's where things get a little foggy.
0: <laughs> you don't want to win or you do, do you want to win there or not?
1: I don't know what home is anymore. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's a bond. <laughs> They're all fulfilling uh, their own careers. And, uh, I'm, I'm sitting in this freaking house. You see my background rather we're renovating, trying to sell it. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, what is, what is home? I literally haven't been in a home for probably six months because for four months they were filming a movie here so i've been living okay. with the crews and now i'm living with a construction crew so i haven't really haven't had a place yeah that's <laughs> a so, good question i don't make blood of your question no no question. no i
0: understand but yeah. again the question is not do you want to win at a home do you want to win at home at home is where you are right mm-hmm. home is where you are so if you're living out of a hotel guess what that's your home if you're on the road all the time you're home do you want to win in your personal life? And most people will answer both of those questions as yes. Mm-hmm. The third question is, are you? Mm-hmm. Right. And if, and if you're not, then let's work together.
1: That's the key. Cause are you, for instance, I go out and people are like, Oh wow. you Don't describe this research is transformative. People stopping me at airports and, you know, I've changed my life. I, my, my, I, I, my marriage, you say my marriage. I mean, all these things come out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then then it's like, what do you think you're wanting? I'm like, you know what? I, I have so many more mistakes to make and so little time left.
0: Yes. Hey, this is James. And I'm here to help you win at work and at home. Let's connect. You can use the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary session. And we're going to walk through the steps that it's going to take. For you to start thriving so you can engineer your success and live the life that you love. Come on, sign up today. <laughs> That's true. And, and, and there is no one size fits all definition of success. There's no one size fits all definition of winning. So your definition of winning at work and winning at home may be different. Yeah. than My definition for the people that are listening you know, your definition is going to be different. But if you find yourself in a situation where you cannot answer that third question as a yes, you know, are you, if you can't answer yes, Mm -hmm. then find some help because you deserve to have a life that you love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love your centering on the winning thing because that's what we've been working on for this new, uh, this new book. And I that is one of the things that we do avoid, isn't it? I mean, we don't think about what does that mean? And that's key. What does it mean? Does it mean what society told me it should mean? Or is it something else that I can create?
0: Yeah. I, and I would say it's absolutely something that each individual creates and it changes. It changes based on what stage you are in life, what stage you are in your business, where you are in your career. You know, yeah. when my kids were first born, winning at home was sleeping through the night, right? Yeah. Constructing a a life where the kids got what they needed and they went to sleep and they, they're sleeping through the night. My wife and I can get a whole, a whole night's sleep. That was winning. You know, as you get older, it changes. And so even if you've defined winning for you five years ago, it may look different now. So it's yeah. always good to revisit that, to kind of reframe the success that you're looking, uh, to achieve.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you're, I'm, I'm glad you're sa- you're bringing this up. Cause it's one of those things that I don't hear people talk about a lot, but it's one of those things that I think we need to focus on yeah. and it does change. It, it absolutely. And, Cause I it was funny. I was, when I was raising my kids, I was like, well, what does it mean to win as a parent? Mm-hmm. And then I heard this, I heard this preacher on some video somewhere. I forget where I was in some conference. And 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 the, and the attitude that I took from his insight was: look, I I told my kids when I raised them, I'm not here to make you happy. And that was like okay. the opposite of what normally you think parents are. Well, oh, i my kids to be happy. It's like no, I'm here to make you successful. Yeah. You work on happiness on your own time. You know, yeah. when you're 18, my job's done. So I'm here to make you successful and give you those skills. Your
0: your job should be done, but it right. may not be. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do those years before. And so, you know, a lot of folks will talk about management and, um, communication and delegation, all of those things apply to parenting as well, right? Because you, my job as a parent is to create an environment where my family, my, my children can flourish. Your job Mm -hmm. as a leader, as a manager is to create an environment where your people can flourish because as your people grow, your company move. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: And perfect. and so it's it's a it's very a very you can parallel those situations. And my responsibility as a parent, and I and I started this very early on, Don, was I was very clear to my wife and to my mother in law and sister in laws, we're not raising baby boys. We're raising men. Yeah. So if we treat them like baby boys, you know, all of their life, they'll never have the strength to become the men that they need to be to show up in the world and to be able to provide value to the world yeah. because, because they are valuable. They are worthy. They, they're precious, but in order for that value to be brought out, we can't treat them like babies.
1: Yep. Yep. No, that's great. And we, uh, and we've had some social experiments that have failed tremendously in us trying to figure out how to treat you know the whole, the whole self-esteem movement that started
0: mm-hmm.
1: as, well, I have a whole chapter in the book on that because it's like everybody yeah. gets the participation award probably isn't the best way to
0: treat it. Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast episode. We could do like a whole different series on that, Don. Hey, look, I, I, again, I really appreciate this conversation that we've been able to have. It has been an honor to have you on a podcast. Thank Um, you. And I'll end this podcast like I end every podcast. And it's this many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it. And there's a select group of people that actually follow through and do it. And Don, I want to thank
1: you for being part of that select few. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that.
0: Thank you for listening to engineer your success with Dr. James Bryant. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it and a small fraction of people actually do it. I believe that you can have success both in business and in life, and it's my passion to guide you on your path to engineering your success. Thanks.